Thanks for coming on to the show, Christine. I'm Alex. You know Brandon? Yeah. I don't know if you've met Frank. Never. <laughs> Total strangers. We have met. Good. He's, 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 he's lying. Terrific. <laughs> As he always does. That is my character on the show. Everything I say is a lie. Yeah, the format of the show is Brandon always tells the truth <laughs> and Frank always tells a lie. <laughs> Incredible! This is episode 206 of Insert Credit, a relentless onslaught of video game topics our panel must address in six minutes or fewer, or face the penalty of a horrible buzzer. I'm Alex Jaffe, and if I had to adapt a road from my real life into a racing game, it would be the uneven pathway from my childhood home past the rapidly deteriorating golf course. Wow, that is not a thing that I can just pull up from my brain. My name is Frank Spaldi, <laughs> and if I had to put a road from my real life into a video, I you know what? I grew up in Vegas, which means that I grew up on the Las Vegas Strip. Um, oh, you're that's set. That's where we all live. Yeah, everybody lives there. I would do that. Just gambling all the time. Yeah, I, I majored in blackjack. Little known fact, Frank grew up in the neon cowboy's hat. Yeah, but I'm going to assume it's a... Uh, you know, a small vehicle game like like carts or, or uh, uh, motorcycles because uh, you can do cool uh, shortcut stuff by kind of going up like the stairs and the escalators to cross the streets and things like that. Everything's weird. Yeah, cruising connected. style. That's yeah. Good. Cool. I'm Brandon Sheffield. If I were to put a road from my real life into a video game, I mean, I guess I sort of did. I realized when when making Oh Dear, our driving game, the programmer was like, why do you keep making these roads? so hilly and adding curves at the same time it doesn't make sense that's not how stuff works and i was like i don't know it feels right to me and then i was driving to uh to my friend's wedding in northern california in in marin county and i was like oh this is why i did this because it's just what the roads are like up here you go up to the the wine country and similar and it's just all hilly roads turning around this way and that way and i realized that subconsciously i had put those roads that I had driven as a young person into you uh, lived this question into the video game. Yeah, I have. Turns out. Well, uh, joining us this week is the co-founder of Love Conquers All Games and developer of such mega-hit AAA blockbusters as Analog: A Hate Story, A Lady Killer in a Bind, and the brand new lesbian road trip RPG Get in the Car Loser, Christine Love. Hi, I'm Christine, and. If I was putting a road in my real life into a game, I don't drive. I don't know anything about roads, actually, despite uh, making a game about a car. There is this uh, little uh, tr subway crossing uh, just a little bit south of me that cars, like, when they're really drunk, will just drive into. And I have no idea what they're thinking. They always get stuck. They always have to get towed out. I'd like to make a racing game where you're the guy just going down the subway tracks. And I don't know what you're doing down there. I, I, I think we should figure it out. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, somebody's got to get to the bottom of this. Let's, that sounds uh, solid. Let's put a committee together. I, I, I enjoyed going through the uh, subways in uh, Grand Theft Auto 4 on a motorcycle, so maybe yes. we should make a game out of that. Uh, there's definitely potential there. Now, Christine, I went over the rules with you before we began the show, but one thing I did not tell you is that every episode of this program is scored. The winner at the end of the episode gets the honor and privilege of picking a question for the next episode of the show. Last week's winner was our very own Brandon Sheffield, 
And this is the point where we find out whether he forgot to do his homework. <laughs> I totally didn't realize that I won. Um, yep. <laughs> All right. Well, then we'll get back to you after yeah. the break. In the yeah. meantime, how has video game art and design been impacted by Christian iconography? Mm. Well, I certainly know that like in the uh, in the 90s, it wasn't clear whether you couldn't show Christian stuff or it was just people were worried about it. But Japanese developers especially were like, we better take these crosses out that we put in here. So like in a splatter house on the turbo graphics, you go up to this altar in the Japanese version and there's like crosses and stuff there. And it kind of makes sense that he's like walking toward that and there's a little cutscene about it. Then in the U.S. version, he's just walking up to an empty pedestal that has nothing on it because <laughs> they're like, oh, I better not offend the Christians. So uh, certainly in that regard, that that was there. But at the same time, you had like Konami had all kinds of crosses in Castlevania. So I maybe there was a point at which it just people were like, I don't know, it's probably fine. What do you think the logic? Well, I, I, I can answer that, which is that it was part of uh, Nintendo's approval process that you could not have uh, religious iconography at all in your games right. um so at least on those systems there was specifically something in place that prevented it my guess would be that turbo graphics folk were just kind of following nintendo's lead like i don't know let's do what nintendo does yeah, yeah. that makes sense yeah i don't know it's definitely um powerful shape they got there that cross good shape Yeah, i mean uh, the other iconography that comes to mind for me is just generally like devil or demon yeah iconography. angels and demons yeah i mean the you know how often are bad do bad guys have like devil horns to show that they're bad um, yeah or like you know maybe the final form of the boss you know they reveal themselves to be a demon or i don't know uh rpgs you end up sort of like killing the source of actual evil and sort of demony i think that all comes from uh uh christian iconography i think yeah, it's always like very vague, though, like it's never like anything specific. And like, that's why, like, when like you're playing like Shin Megami Tensei, like it really jumps out, you know, that they're actually pulling from like actual Christian mythology or like, you know, actually naming the angels as opposed to just, you know, these sort of vague ideas of demons that could sort of be from really any culture. Yeah, I guess Shin Megami Tensei did some specific demons and they actually tried to get like real angels and devils and stuff. They got like. Or they got like Gabriel and stuff in there. I think that's pretty cool. Why not use the real ones? I mean, it's all no offense to anybody. It's all it's all fictional stuff anyway. Like, let's just go for it. Let's oh, just no use thing. them. It, it, they're public domain. There was this weird trend on the Sega Master System. It didn't really even seem to matter what company made the game. But for some reason, in in quite a few Master System games specifically, when your character dies, there is an outline of them in angel form that flies out of their body. This includes Alf, by the way, like Alf becomes an angel. Is Alf going to heaven? I, I don't know if it's like Christian that's heaven. a good question. I don't think there's room from there. Does Melmac have its own? Well, we know all dogs go to heaven. And, right. Uh, Alf's a dog. Yeah. And we know that dogs hate cats. Yeah, clearly a dog. So maybe Alf attacking cats wouldn't be a mark against him vis-a-vis uh, -vis whether he uh, qualifies for heaven or all I know is you go in that basement and a bat touches you and you're an angel now. 
That's, yeah. that's... Uh, doesn't Mario get a little halo in Super Mario World when he dies or runs out of lives? Somebody does. A lot of they, yeah. I feel like Bubsy gets one. This video game series Halo wouldn't exist without. <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> there was that time where games in Japan were just using the word Bible. Mm. So there, there's the last Bible series. There's the Bible Master series. Uh, those sure wouldn't exist. All those Wisdom Tree games wouldn't exist. We should also talk about the crackdown cover for genesis uh everybody's seen that i guess but i i posted it in the chat here because we got we got satan with a tri- um like a star on his head oh it's specifically goat satan yeah goat satan beals above never seen this guy in my life no <laughs> it's pretty good there's there's you got two muscle men you got your satan Beelzebub, uh goat form you got a stormtrooper of some kind and an orangutan and both of the muscle men have like my aging hairline they're muscly, but they're kind of like the the older American doughy kind of muscly in a certain way. You know, they got they got like faces are not like chiseled. They're right. <laughs> yeah. kind of like office manager face pasted on a muscle body. Uh, yeah. Crackdown, man. I wish that game was a little cooler because I love that cover. <laughs> Buzzer sound. On to the next topic. What are the worst ports of the best game? Ooh, um, I mean, there's like Street Fighter on the ZX Spectrum and stuff like that. But, <laughs> you know, there's just all those games that you just can't you just can't put it on there. But they tried anyway. Um, those are actually kind of fun to look at, I have to say. Right. Those, just, those have a charm to them. Sure. But they are bad also. I feel like there's definitely like a range of like, I don't know, fighting games on the Game Boy is like a free spot on the bingo. But like some of them are just like uncharmed, like Street Fighter for the Game Boy is like, There's not really any redeeming qualities. Everything looks like mud. You can't even tell your characters apart. It's just uh, like it's not even fun to, you know, make fun of. These are just like, yeah, very poorly suited. Yeah, that's a good one. Also, I guess um, the entirety of the Tiger LCD library is a good candidate. Maybe it's too generous to even call them ports um, because. Uh, Well, I mean, one that I would call a port would be Sonic Jam, which is meant to sort of be like Sonic Jam on the Saturn, which is oh, that's, here's that's all on the... the GameCom. I was talking about the LCD oh. ones, but that's a good. Oh, example that, sorry, well. sorry. Well, OK, well, let's switch to the GameCom for a second here. That, yeah. uh Sonic Jam on the GameCom is meant to be a port of Sonic 2-3 and Knuckles, I believe. Yeah. And for the most part, it, you know, you're running around. It's like, yeah, it's that's I'm playing a Sonic. I'm in these this level the level has the same layout, same physics are essentially here. They're a little bit broken, but it doesn't feel good. First of all, the refresh rate of the screen is terrible, so that does not lend itself well to a Sonic the Hedgehog game, which is traditionally played kind of fast, got to go fast. But uh, worst of all, and, and I love this, um, it claims to be those three games. It is literally the first level of each of those games. And then it's over. <laughs> yeah, very good. And they also have like, a, I don't know, they got, I don't remember if they had Virtual fighter on that one or if they had it on the r zone uh no they had fighters megamix on the GameCom, and then yeah. there's resident evil on there they're all bad all those ports are really bad resident evil is really interesting though like it unlike is. street fighter you look at the resident evil port and it's like okay this is interesting looking like there's mm-hmm. a there's a there's an aesthetic here that's kind of unique and it's sort of a vision of of what a portable system might have been in like the playstation era yeah they went for it with that one Hmm. uh what else i mean like anything that was ported to like the ibm format until maybe like the vga days those are all (laughs) terrible um just universally especially like cga ports of like capcom arcade games and stuff like that including street fighter i believe poor street fighter that's what i'm saying (laughs) yeah they got them good. I feel like some of the um, 
I mean, nobody cares, but I feel like some of the FMV ports from PC to like, like Sega CD were, were pretty poor because just the the video quality wasn't there. But yeah, but the question is about like good games with bad ports. Oh right, it was good <laughs> games. I forgot that part. Heck, uh, I don't know. Like the, any PS2 version of a game that was on all the systems at that time usually is the worst one. Mm-hmm. But I can't think of one that's egregious. Yeah, and I also I feel. Like, kind of like Christine said, some of those do fall into the category of interesting because it's, it's like interesting to see how they tried to, to make it work. Or maybe Jaffe said that. I forget who said it. Nobody said it. Wasn't me. No. Okay. It's probably wasn't anybody. Oh, I guess the person said who said that's been dead for 27 years. Cyberpunk on PS4. <laughs> Isn't that the good <laughs> joke? <I don't> know. <laughs> oh. Is it a good game? Kaboom. Yeah. We have to wait a couple weeks and then Tim's going to let us know. Okay. I think that comes out this Sunday. Uh, it might be out by the time you're listening to Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. No, I, th- I think uh, I think it's been delayed another week. I don't I don't want to quote anybody on anything, but that's my impression. I don't know. We'll see. It's possible. We'll find out. Is this, are we still on the timer here? Come on. Yeah, we're still on the timer. It's clearly dead. Let's move on. Okay, let's move on. Uh, <laughs> speaking of moving on, has the Metroidvania outgrown Metroid? Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I do wish we had a different word for it. Like we have to use it because people know what it means or some people know what it means, but like it doesn't, it doesn't need to have Metroid and it doesn't really need to have Vania. It definitely doesn't need to have Vania in it. And I think we could do without Metroid too, frankly. Yeah. So like, wh- what do we call it? Axiom Verge 2 just came out and like, man, or it just came out in my, my, uh, the, the time scale I'm thinking on, but like right. both these games like are taking like, like they have levels that look like Metroid. Like they like give you like, you know, like that little like morph ball space and like this like one brick wide wall that like you're like, oh, I played a Metroid game. I know how to deal with this. And then like the mobility powers they give you are just like completely mind blowing. Like it opens your third eye when you realize that, oh, I've been playing the same like I've been playing these these games for 20 years and it's always been the same thing. But maybe there's a new way to navigate the space. And like those two games were incredible for that. I I I feel like there's just like like they're showing like there's just so much more room. And then you go back to Metroid Dread and it's like, oh, well, this is mostly stuff that I've, you know, this is stuff that I've seen before. I've got the Morph Ball. Great. Yeah. Remember this? And by the way, friend of the show, Christian Nutt, may have been the first to use it in a in a review. Someone was trying to track down the origin of the word. And the first published usage of Metroidvania that they could find was Christian Nutt. But uh, hilariously... The reference that they could find of him saying it was, is this term overused and is everyone tired of this genre now? <laughs> and it was in like 1995 or something. Yeah. I think we should change it to something less annoying like shmup. No. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you? I'm going to call, start calling beat-em-ups bmups. And see how everybody feels beat-em-ups. With Metroidvania, it's, it's frustrating because like there's no particular like the castlevania aspect is pretty much grinding and getting getting new weapons as drops i would say like that's the castlevania part of it um which is specifically symphony of the night and it's not really the other ones and then the metroid part is the labyrinthine structure which castlevania took sort of from metroid and the gating of areas with specific powers power-ups that are in specific locations but those particular things they don't feel like metroid or castlevania per se they're just they're they're just what those games contributed to this 
genre and it it just feels wrong that we're still calling it a metroidvania when most of the time it has nothing to do with any of those games dagnabbit i like the egovania term i think that's good because it's like <laughs> well that's a type of castlevania though it's not a type yeah of yeah yeah so that's why i like i like that but i feel like for example chasm is a people called it a metroidvania but it's really more of an egovania it's a symphony of the night like basically it it doesn't have metroid bits in it so yeah i don't know but it, then it's weird because it's not like ego worked on it so is that okay to say i was just thinking we're just like so far past you know like like the games that we're talking about and like like symphony of the night is was was it decades ago and like sure. that's sort of uh there's like there wasn't you know there were a few more the the egovania as you say there there are a few follow-ups after that but like by and large like castlevania is not the go-to for like if you're looking for a met new metroidvania you are probably not playing a castlevania game and uh, for the first time in 17 years maybe you're playing a, a metroid game now but there's just so many things that have like taken over the genre and we're still right. like going back to these 90s touch points yeah it's true i think it's it's the fault of um terminology being dictated by people in our age group <laughs> uh, i don't know christine i think you're a little younger than the others of us i mean i'm younger but i've like i've always been like playing games off like people your age's recommendations so you know it's, right. it's, it's the same thing really as long as i get to determine what culture is that's what's important <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's not skip ahead to recommendations just yet when we uh, <laughs> specifically tell people what to consume yeah uh, but let's go on to the next question. What is the weirdest advice you've ever gotten for playing a video? That's a good one that I need to think about a little bit. I'm sure I've gotten some. Um, I've got one. Uh, about 10 years ago, my friend Donnie was really into NetHack, and he was introducing me to the game. He said, make sure you always play as a female character, because if you get turned into a monster, then you can spawn little monsters. <laughs> oh. <laughs> all right seems pretty like pretty good advice yeah <laughs> yeah applicable That's to life too bad. yeah um i have been advised in my life on more than one occasion by uh gamestop employees not to purchase a game huh that seems counterintuitive uh, one of them was deadly premonition it was like bro don't buy this oh, it's yeah. really bad wow like now i'm gonna buy deadly premonition idiot yeah <laughs> absolute moron piece you report him you get fired filth. where's that guy now probably dead yeah i'm sure that store is uh long gone and it's his fault yeah, yeah. but uh then he invested in that gamestop stock and he made it all back yeah why don't they just sell the stocks at the store man yeah that's there you a good go. question right weirdest advice is that yeah the weirdest question? advice you've gotten for playing a game i don't know that i've ever had like strategy discussions about video games with people i don't know since like elementary school maybe and that was usually lying about there being like warp zones and stuff in games yeah i i can't think of weird advice i can think of normal advice like i was playing demon souls or whatever and people are like you should be whatever that class is that can use magic and weapons at the same time but yeah i just got like regular sensible advice by and large but i feel like there's got to be something weird in there dad gummit i feel like i've gotten bad advice but like not like an interestingly bad advice just like normal incorrect Hmm. I'm having a hard time coming up with specifics, but I have definitely gotten bad advice in GameFAQs walkthroughs. Oh, yeah. But it's mostly bad in terms of like not giving me any breathing room to actually experience the game. It's just like, oh, you, you are a computer who is trying to optimize 
you know, getting to the ending as fast as possible, follow these specific instructions. Or like, I don't know, I, I've, I've read uh, facts for like RPGs I'm playing that tell me to level up, you know, to like grind to level up to a certain uh, experience number before getting to this boss or whatever. And then you get there and you just kind of sneeze and they die. And it's yeah. like, oh, you just don't know how to play this game. You're, you're, you're giving me the advice to play it wrong. I've definitely gotten ones from from game facts where they're like go left and then go right and and it's just incorrect like those those were the wrong the wrong ways to go. Maybe they were playing the game in second person so that all of the directions were first. <laughs> yeah, that that probably makes the most sense. That's probably what it was. I, oh wait, I guess I got I have gotten weird advice from a game facts thing. I was playing I think Jean Dark and um the guide was written by a furry i think okay and they were like you should definitely pick up this character because she's a cute zebra girl winky smiley face <laughs> oh that's good advice i mean it's it's <clears throat> i mean was she a cute zebra girl winky smiley face like that that feels like that just feels like telling you you know seems like a good point of information cutest objective i mean the the, the characters in that are, are pretty uh Pretty low poly. The difference between a cute zebra girl, winky smiley face, and a regular zebra girl are really muddled in that space. I think I speak for all of us when I say that cuteness is defined by the uh, cute zebra girl listening to this right now. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Uh, what is and what is not a visual novel? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I've, I've, I've read some comments on Twitter that suggest that a visual novel is just any time that you have text on screen. Whoa, that's bold. It's it's definitely a bold claim that is made with surprising frequency. Wow. I can't believe every international movie is a visual novel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, you say really. this, but like uh, early aughts, like there was like a thing of um, uh, games that like were generally considered visual novels being released on DVDs because like this was like obviously the big new format and like oh, they yeah. would just have text presentation in the uh, in like the subtitle track and then you could use the DVD menus to to make your selections. So like. There's no clear line there. Yeah, it's hard with it because like in Japan, they made distinctions between visual novels and digital comics and like digital comics were basically you don't really have much choice. You're pretty much watching this narrative. You can you can have replies maybe, but it more or less like it's the same straightforward narrative and you can't change it and you're pretty much just watching it. But visual novels have choices and different outcomes and different endings. I think that was true at that time, but I don't think that needs to be true anymore. Like you can have a visual novel that's just a straightforward narrative, wouldn't you say? I think so. I think in general, like part of the reason why these terms are so vague is just because like we just sort of like pulled it over from Japan without like really like actually getting into like what does Japan use these yeah. terms to mean? And like by and large, it's, it's it's inventing a distinction that doesn't largely exist. These these were just talking about presentation styles. Um, for example, uh. Visual novels are generally adjacent to um, Japanese-style adventure games. Yeah. Where, you know, like the Snatcher type of adventure game, for example, where you, you know, you enter a room and you can talk to people and like look at things and smell things. And, you know, like how is that different from like what, say, Ace Attorney is doing? They're clearly part of the same lineage. And whether you consider that a visual novel or not really just comes from a bunch of people on forums in the early aughts adopting marketing terms from Japanese games to describe certain types of narratives. Now we're sort of like trying to shoehorn in a bunch of things. It's kind of tough to think about because for me, visual novel is like 
It's almost like a vibe thing. Like Tokimeki Memorial is definitely a visual novel to me. Um, but it also has like raising sim and, and simulation elements in it. So it's, is it is it not a pure visual novel because it's got more than that? Or like, you know, Fire Emblem Three Houses is mostly just talking. Occasionally, apparently, you can fight tactics <laughs> battles in that game. But uh, I played it for three hours and I only got to two uh, in that time. You know, like, is that a visual novel? No, it's not. But why not? Because <laughs> you can run around? I don't know. It's kind of weird because, like, in that game, I spent the majority of my time looking at talking heads, talking to each other, getting through dialogue that was very twee and anime. And it's like, I don't know, you strip this part out and it's just a visual novel. My angle has always been like visual novel is like when people are talking about that. It's like, I think you're correct when you say it's a vibe. This is like, when people are interested in buying visual novels, they are probably looking for something, you know, that isn't like super like mechanical, super twitchy or is like very story driven. But I think yeah. also it makes sense to think about it like as a presentation style. So you can have like um, adventure games, with visual novel presentation or like RPGs that have visual novel style conversations or visual novel style choices. And that way you don't have to like try to figure out like what's the line between Ace Attorney Snatcher and Tokimeki Memorial or like, or whatever, right? Yeah. Like you can simply say, oh, well, this has dialogue scenes. This has choices that are drawing from visual novels. So I'm advising called Iggy. It's like Independent Games Initiative or something like that in Japan. Igavania. Uh One of the teams that I'm helping out, they were like, I don't know exactly what, to call this game genre wise. And it's a it's a shooting game, but it's very action oriented. And each stage is very specific, but it also loops. They loop on themselves and stuff. And it's like each game has each stage rather has a mechanical uniqueness to it, which is unlike your traditional twin stick shooter or whatever. They were saying, I don't know what to what kind of genre this should be. And I was saying, why not go back to what they used to do in Japan in the in the 90s where they would you know, they'd be like tactical romance action. They would just take yeah. three, three things and put them together. And, and then you'd be like, oh, I kind of get the idea of what this is. I was just looking at the back of this Sega CD game I got here, Cosmic Fantasy Stories, and they call it a super animatic sci-fi role-playing game. Oh, you know, it's, it's like put a bunch of descriptors in there. Why the heck not? That's a great genre. Name. Yeah. For a future lightning round, I should like pitch you a bunch of games that you come up with a genre for format. Oh yeah, like Mario is a is a mushroom crushing action uh, simulation. Yeah, <laughs> or exactly like that. Uh, we'll think on that some more while we take a quick break. Do we have a date on Christian not coining this term, Metroidvania? Oh, he doesn't think he coined it. It's just someone who was researching it. That was the first published thing that they could find. So we don't know when it was invented, but we know the first person to hate the term. So it was it was actually um, Kate Willard. Kate Willard looked? Okay. Um, what did she come up with? She said it was used occasionally on forums as early as 2001, but it looks like the earliest article to use the word might have been your 2005 preview of Dawn of Sorrow for Games. Uh, I agree with her. I can. I got a news group post here from 2001, and but also this author is like there. Call it Metroidvania from now on, or Castaloid. Castaloid. 
Welcome back to Insert Credit. It's time for us to dive into the dirt bag. This is the portion of every show where I take a question submitted to us by the listeners who have subscribed to patreon.com slash insert credit, where you can get access to the form, which allows you to submit questions, get access to our regular episodes one day early. Wow. One day early? One day early. And even access to regular monthly bonus episodes and other exclusive content. This week's question comes from Spencer, who says, Mortal Kombat Mythology's Sub-Zero was a critically panned action platformer spinoff made using the Mortal Kombat IP in 1997. Mm -hmm. You are tasked with making a new entry into the Mythologies series. Which Mortal Kombat character is it about, and how do you make it better? Oh, nice. Well, first of all, it's got a great look, I have to say. That video game looks really good in 2021, in my opinion. It has pretty high-res backgrounds, and the digitized sprites work really well with this 2D plane. It, like, it's a full-on pseudo-3D game. Or, not pseudo-3D, 2.5D game, uh, you would say. And it looks really neat, and it's too bad it doesn't play super well, because it, it's it's great to look at. Would you call it a good-looking bum-up? <laughs> yeah, it's a good-looking bum-up, for sure. Is it a visual novel? <laughs> there is some conversation you have i think it's got to be scorpion right like scorpion's got to be the next character that you do you can have puzzles where you have to pull things you, you have mm -hmm. to get them over here you throw your thing and you... he says it every time says it every time you can oh i got it you have to climb a mountain and it's getting over here with bennett foddy <laughs> <laughs> yeah get over here with scorpion combat right which is his full name. <clears throat> Mortal Scorpion Combat. Yeah, you could like pull enemies into grates and just do all kinds of nonsense. I think that would be pretty fun. Does he have a like teleport? No, that's Raiden that does the teleport thing, right? Yeah. Scorpion. What, what else does Scorpion do? I think Reptile can teleport. The Scorpion has the skull face flame. Skull mouth. face flame. Correct. Yeah. What else? Um, Anything else? I think it's mostly get over here and skull face flame mouth. Which can be, you know, like that can be the thing that helps you float, right? You kind of like point your head down and, and try to propel a little bit with your flame. Oh, like yeah. a Princess Peach gimmick. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't think it's Princess Peach. Princess Peach is like a straight line. I think it's, you know, like uh, pulling out your 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 uh, parasol to float downward slowly. Okay. I was uh, thinking like a super Princess Peach gimmick. Yeah. I thought it was like the cape in Super Mario World where you could go whoop, 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 whoop. Maybe not. Well, you can, I don't think you can make yourself go up higher. I think it's just, you know, you, you slow okay. down your descent. I don't know if he, like, flips upside down completely, mm -hmm. 180, or if he just kind of, like, lies on his stomach and, oh, yeah, maybe kind of has his arms out like a flying squirrel, you know? Mm -hmm. And there's, like, a really cute animation where he's kind of, like, wiggling as his uh, skull face uh, flame mouth is... is uh, in the front yeah okay this is good so we've got i'm on board we've got get over here and we've got uh skull face flame mouth float and you could probably combine the two to get into really really cool areas mm -hmm. that have treasure chests and i'm gonna assume that you can swing with your get over here tether. Oh, yeah. absolutely but if you do the like diagonal sort of wave beam or whatever to, to hook onto things uh what he actually says instead is go over there yeah <laughs> Like he knows that he's trying to go somewhere, so he goes, "Go over there!" Oh God, I made I made a terrible yo mama joke on Twitter a, a long time ago that I oh apparently am proud enough <laughs> of to remember uh, now, which was uh, your mama's so ugly 
that uh, when Scorpion sees her, he says, get over there. <laughs> stay over there. <laughs> yeah, stay over there. Uh, so bad and stupid. Do we do we care about the story here? Oh, like, yeah, uh, I mean. Yeah, why is he getting over that mountain? He's mad at Scorpion. I mean, no, he's mad at Sub-Zero. Sub-Zero. That's like the only thing I know about the mythology of Mortal Kombat is that Scorpion hates Sub-Zero. Yeah, they're mad at each other. Yeah. They're like the fighting Mario and Wario. For some reason in the new one, I guess Scorpion's bad and Sub-Zero is good. I don't care about the because we're we're doing mythologies, which I think, I don't know, like I think mythologies is uh, exploring the canon as it was at that time, maybe during like three. Well, I mean, we're making it now, though. So I'm thinking like it's got to be Unreal Engine, but still like that same relatively tiny character. So um, it's it's not like I still want it to be 2D side on. Um, okay. Metroidvania style. <laughs> nice. Uh, with visual novel elements, <laughs> etc. Yeah, I mean, I'd play this. And getting over here, Mortal Kombat mythology is getting over here with Scorpion. Yeah, and you can get new fatalities as you go along. And the fatalities are like what gate certain areas. You got to be able to lift some guy's skull up so that it touches the ceiling and sets off. A oh, oh, that's good. I like that. That's the... Uh opening up a door with a missile in this game. All exactly. right, we've settled it. Are video games capable of intentionally evoking the secondhand feeling of embarrassment often associated with British comedies? <laughs> yeah, or uh, or um, what's his name? Got down. Larry David. You know what I'm talking about. Larry David. <laughs> That's yeah, the very same. comedy. Yeah. Um, Is there an equivalent of that in video games? It's weird. I feel like there's something about games where if you try to do that kind of cringy thing, it's it's harder to believe that the person doing it was is like aware of it or doing it on purpose. You know, it kind of feels like maybe this person's just bad or something. It's such a hard line to not cross the the cringiness. I don't know. Part of the problem is like if this is like something to do with like the player's control, like you need to actually believe that you are saying something smart and like like yeah. just coming off completely wrong in the moment. Otherwise, you're just like, oh, well, this is obviously a bad choice. Yeah. And that has a distancing effect. Yeah. With with the cringy stuff, I think a big part of it is like you're watching this happen and you cannot control it. It's, it's like, you, you know, that this guy's about to try to find out where this lady that he met one time in a in a department store lives by like buttering up her supervisor and it's going to be this whole scenario and and you just want to stop them but you can't because it's a narrative i think the closest thing is like those messages in dark souls online where it's like someone just encouraging you to walk off a cliff with something like really positive and then you do it and like then you feel like an asshole for uh <laughs> like believing this random stranger i just thought of something in games where you're presented with dialogue options where all of the options they give you are things you would not say and whatever you pick is going to be you know it's going to end up horribly but uh whatever you pick is your fault because you're picking that bad option of the three bad options so you're going to feel bad either way uh that happens to me a lot in those kinds of yeah i guess that exists the only way to win is not to play really Right. Yeah, I feel like the problem there is like you then just blame the author. You're just like, oh, well, who yeah. wrote these choices? That wasn't me. I wouldn't have said this. And like exactly. you get like really indignant about it. You need to like genuinely believe that you picked the right choice. And then like mm -hmm. we're just wrong on like the face of it. That's why it works so well in in linear narrative, because 
that character believes that they're making the right choice. You can see that they're like, they're either fully believing that they made the right choice or they're like doubling down because they they can't back out. I, I like the one you said, Christine, about going off a cliff and then you feel like you've been bamboozled and then it's possible. I've certainly heard of people who then feel like they want to perpetuate it since it happened to them, which is n- n- not very nice. But uh, that's, I guess, a way of inserting yourself into that cringy scenario. Actually, you know, I bet where this happens is like role-playing servers in Final Fantasy fourteen or whatever. I'm sure there are people who are like super committed to a bit, can't back out, and then you're talking to them and, and, and you can see them crashing and burning and there's nothing you can really do about it. There's There's got to be something in there. I guess that's just real-life human interaction. Yeah, that's, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's just living. Just living, baby. Was there ever a Seinfeld video game or what? Uh, they tried to make one but couldn't get the license. Yeah. Who's they? Uh, the people who tried to make a Seinfeld game. That's oh, right. that's the name of the studio. Yeah. <laughs> I'm imagining it's like Pac-Man New Adventures where like you just have to like try to lead them away from disaster and then it doesn't work. Yeah, maybe lead them toward disaster. Manipulate their emotional state in order yes, to... Yeah. Oh my god, I could talk about this game <laughs> for a full episode with Christine Love. You're, tr- you're trying to get George Costanza out of the house and so you gotta make like a pretty woman <laughs> walk down the hall four times and then... The, but And he's like, if she turns around one time, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go. You know, yeah. something like that. It it was just two guys, and uh, you could find the pitch on SeinfeldGame.com. Nobody went for it, uh, but it took Twitter by storm a w- little while ago. Took tr- Twitter by Drizzle, I guess. It took Twitter about. by Drizzle. You may have seen it. I'm sure Esper will uh, link to it in the show notes. Quiet storm, soft and warm. <laughs> Here's a little bit of a nuanced question, so try to keep up. Should games with a customizable protagonist and multiple love interests assume a default bisexuality for all parties involved, or is there value in locking certain characters to specific sexualities, which may or may not involve the player? Oh, wow. I had a long, speaking of Christian, I had a long conversation with him about this. I'm curious to hear what other people think first. I feel like, honestly, just in practice, I have not seen the version of this where it's like actually been interesting. Like if if, if you're having a love interest that is only interested in women and like as like the bisexual protagonist, I'm like, am I getting something like really interesting out of that? Whereas like I feel like generally in games with customizable characters and like large numbers of romance options, you're not really getting into a lot of detail about the queer experience you're usually just doing something fairly straightforward if it was ever like actually interesting that someone is you know like for example our hypothetical um lesbian love interest who simply like is not um interested in heteronormative life is not you know like interested in marriage is not like uh considers herself an out you know like in any any aspect of the queer experience at all like just anything adjacent to that if you could pull interesting points out of that, then like, that's great. But you know, if this is just a character in a big science fiction story who has like no real relationship to the real world, then like, why bother gating this? Why are you like just alienating people for like no benefit at all? Yeah. Like, is a bullet point interesting? No. Is, is like a character dynamic interesting? Yeah. But are you actually going to deliver on that character dynamic? Yep, that's a lot of good points there. The The discussion that we were having was kind of like, it's unrealistic to show such an uninteresting depiction of the queer experience. And, like, and it's an unrealistic expectation to set that you could romance anybody in the world. But 
I also feel like if it's fantasy, if it's total fantasy and your character is a blank slate, kind of a nothing person anyway, why not let people live out whatever um, fantasy that they want? And that could be a positive. But of course, it's much better if you're actually showing something and actually talking about something, which just opens up a whole new direction. I remember in Dragon Age when they had the bisexual male character for the first time. And, you know, it's pretty much limited to him being like, you know, I go both ways. And then you can also romance him. Choose as a, a way. Character. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's right. Um, it, I think that it was genuinely interesting for some people just because previously you would get like a graphic depiction of like a lady w- with her, her boobs out kind of like grinding on top of your generic avatar character and now you can get a man with his shirt off grinding on top of your character and and like (laughs) there's probably actually some value to that and it at least got away from i mean you you remember in the early 360 days it was like sure we'll have a queer characters but it's only going to be lesbians only that was Mm. true for quite a while there because they were afraid of showing gay male sexuality because of their gamer bro base this is the only gay that my penis finds interesting (laughs) exactly comics were also going through that for a while and we're just now (laughs) seeing more than that yeah people were like so upset in dragon age like you have to shoot down anders when like he makes like one pass at you and it's like really this this is (laughs) this is a huge imposition politely saying no but thanks is like horrifying to you that this is changing your world yeah i don't know it's a it's a really interesting discussion and it's hard to imagine a game that was not about the queer experience doing a serious job of it because you really have to pay attention and do it well and so why would they (laughs) i don't know uh but it would be nice i think that's obviously the preferable route is to have it actually matter and sense but i'm i'm still not sure whether it's i don't think there's anything wrong with a generic protagonist being able to romance anybody even if it's unrealistic at least it feels like some nice fantasy role play for somebody right and i mean like the whole point is that like it's a fantasy right like this is part of the fantasy is you know you you have romances available yeah it makes sense to me but it also makes sense that it would be a lot better if it were like you know there there are eligible members of whatever gender with whatever sexuality and you can explore that but only with the people who actually have for whom that's actually meaningful but that's you know that feels like a whole video game right there be a good visual novel yeah (laughs) all right brandon uh do you have a question for the class prepared now i do have a question and i'm gonna try to not make it confrontational (laughs) good luck come at me it's for christine specifically we'll start with just the base question of why is getting the car loser free because well okay i will also say it doesn't feel like it should be free. It feels like you should have to pay for it. And how can I charge somebody for an RPG when your game is free? So the reason why it's free is because the last time I made a free game was 10 years ago. It was called Digital Love Story. It was made in the span of a month. It's not very good. Um, it's, you know, it, it, it's got some endearing qualities. It's got some some stuff that clearly, clearly this person's going to have a career in video games. But like, it's not really narratively strong and like i don't want anyone who's like oh what are christine's games about to go i'm gonna check out the free one go back to this thing from 10 years ago and be like oh well obviously i don't give a shit about what she does this is just like Mm. this is just a real rough time 
Hence, new free game. Get in the car, oh. loser. But it's so such a real game. It is. It is a real game. It is, it is a video game as video game. It's got like numbers. You you press buttons and like actions happen. People throw punches. It's like video games. It's not a visual novel. It's visual novel. It is not a visual novel. There's like a skull, a score thing. Uh, the key, you know, it's it's a video game. And I'm hoping that people will love this so much that they then immediately go and buy the DLC, which is actually, you know, like funding the actual like cost of development. And now that they've gotten a taste for this, they'll be like, well, but I want to see more of these character stories, please. I'm going to buy the DLC that's on sale right now and see more. That's my hope. Is this going to work? I don't know. I'm it was a terrifying decision. And. I look at like um, Toby Fox just released uh, Delta Rune Chapter Two and is clearly you know doing something, doing something along those lines where it's like also like a huge, not quite as long a game, but it's still like a, clearly like a very 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 big release and like that's also free. And I'm hoping you know this doesn't like people realize that like you do have to pay for something in order to like actually like support the development of these games. Yeah, that's what's challenging for me. Like Delta Rune, I get it because. You know, Toby Fox is, is is basically rich at this point. <laughs> you know, like he can release the thing for free because he doesn't need the money. But I find it challenging when a game that is as fully featured as yours comes out for free when we do need to sell video games still to live. But I think it's an interesting experiment that you're trying with the with the DLC. But I am very cynical about the prospects of that myself. I feel like people love free and and once it's free, that's kind of they're done with that. But I guess we'll see how that works out for you. I definitely wouldn't want to have done it, you know, without like that big like, uh, please, here's the actual here's what the actual price of the game would be if I wasn't doing this wild experiment. Please, like, spend this money right here. That's for yeah. sure. But like, yeah. also just I don't know, not 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 to get like too much into the shop talk, but like it's really hard to get like games noticed at this point. Like oh, right sure. now, you're yeah. like competing with so much stuff on Steam. There's no guarantee that anything's gonna you know get noticed. This is like, frankly, I I, I don't want to you know keep making games for just like the same group of people. Like my fans are incredible and I love their support, but I need to reach more. Otherwise, this isn't sustainable. Yeah, and like cutting through the noise of that like is just really difficult it is really difficult to market games in 2021 absolutely yeah it's uh, i have so many thoughts about this you got two minutes <laughs> i understand the need to get it out in front of as many people as possible you know right now the the only ways to really guarantee money for a game is like get into one of the platform subscriptions at this point like otherwise you, there's no money guarantee there's no visibility guarantee and so that would be another factor for me if I were thinking about releasing a free game would be that once it's free, I can't get Microsoft or Sony to give me money to put it into their service, you know, um, because it was already free. And that would make me nervous as well. I don't know. It's like you're already going up against like, so I don't know. There's so much stuff on game. I, I don't have Game Pass because like I, I I'd just rather, you know, pay like full price for everything. I, I I'm happy to support that. But like, man. There's so much stuff on Game Pass. Yeah. There, there's this like constantly new, interesting indie stuff that's like already being released, perceived as free for like a huge number of people. It's like, that's that's what you're up against already. Right. That's where I am just kind of lost in the woods because it feels like there's been this race to free for a long time to games just being free. And 
I worry about the expectation of full featured games being free on the part of consumers. And, you know, you can't turn back time and stop that. But I think it's a really valid worry, especially like when you look at, you know, like what happened to mobile, right? Like now there's no such thing as a premium game on like on on mobile at all. There's either like a few games that charge money and like otherwise it's just like gotcha hell. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I definitely wouldn't want, you know, like. I wouldn't want everything to turn into that, which is like why I'm hoping, you know, like my paid content is just specifically, it's just new content. It's bounded. It's not, you know, trying to, trying to, you know, siphon small amounts out of you. This is just, here's extra game. Please pay for it. Yeah. Cause I don't know. You look at mobile and like that is like definitely something I am terrified that could happen to everywhere else. Yeah. Yeah. Did you consider like, doom style putting part of the game free and then paying to unlock the rest of it or did that feel too like restrictive bring back like like the shareware model yeah shareware model i mean i feel like it's definitely um i don't know part of like what made that model really work was that like the first episode of those was always just like a like it felt like a full game like yeah. it was already like you're getting a full game a lot of people just like stopped after the end of doom shareware episode one were like I'm satisfied and yeah. I'm hoping that, you know, I'm hitting the same thing where like people play like the full game and are like, oh, I'm satisfied. But then some of them are like, but I could go for more. I'd love to see where it goes from there. Well, what's yeah. the substance of the DLC compared to the free game? So the substance of the DLC is there's like a whole new story chapter. Um, the original game is like like the, the main game is like four chapters and then you get an, one extra chapter. Right now, we're working on some extra DLC as we go along. So, like, the hope is that we'll have another two chapters after that. And, you know, that'll, like, make, like, people feel really compelled to go for it. I hope, assuming that people even, like, pay for the free, like, like the first DLC chapter. It was also, like, every time I had an idea for, like, new abilities that were just, like, too weird for the game, I threw them into the DLC. So it's, like, you get the stuff that's, like, maybe overpowered or maybe just too complicated to use. And they're all in there. So it's, like, advanced mode, basically. But also, like, you're getting new story. Neat. Yeah, it makes sense. It's, uh, man, the whole idea of everything makes me nervous right now <laughs> of selling a video game. <laughs> Put that on a t-shirt. It's really, oh, God. T-shirt or, like, one of those jackets they have for small dogs. Like, I'm frightened and nervous. Please don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Our dog definitely needs that. We are his emotional support beings. <laughs> That's for sure. But you couldn't even get close enough to Pocket to read his shirt without him freaking out. It's true. So his shirt would not be effective. <laughs> He'd need to have like a sign that was bigger than him that that was attached to like a like a signboard. I think Pocket you... got freaked out when we were talking about Metroidvanias. Yeah, he doesn't like those. Uh, he he doesn't like the entire Castlevania series being uh, um, narrowed down to the Symphony of the Night. I think he doesn't like there being like locked doors. You know, like he just wants everything to be open. <laughs> That's Pocket's That's main criticism of the uh, Egovania genre. He was really mad at a uh, hummingbird today, so he'd probably hate the Medusa heads as well. Everybody hates Medusa yeah, everybody heads. Does. All right. We weren't really over time with that one, but I think that was worth it. Let's go right into our lightning round. Get in the car loser shares a name, perhaps not coincidentally, with a meme based on a scene from the 2004 film Mean Girls. Can you confirm this? Uh, I mean, yeah, it that, that's <laughs> definitely a thing. That's true. All right. So this week, we're going to try to design 10 other games based on other lines from the same movie. So uh, we're, we're playing <laughs> Meme Girls is what we're doing. Yes, we're playing Meme Girls right now. Your first game to design is 
I can't help it that I'm popular. Okay, like the first thing that comes to mind for me is you need to get places, but like NPCs are drawn to you and it's kind of like walking through slime, you know, like the, the, yeah. the more that they're on you, the harder it is to walk. Uh, that's what that's what I've got so far. That's pretty good. Yeah. Breakup simulator. Oh, yeah. Breakup simulator. Um, uh, Alec Robbins did that, right? Yep. All right. Yeah. You can't sit with us. Oh, rude. Um, yeah. How do how do we make this not really mean? the game that comes to mind for me is something like a like a diner dash right where you have to make quick decisions to try to like sit in the right places as far as i've gotten yeah i i had a terrible idea which is that everybody except for the player characters are in t-pose and they can't sit down <laughs> <laughs> uh, i like that uh, uh, it's very stupid fresh meat coming through oh this is Diner Dash, <laughs> but you're in a butcher and you got to deliver. You got to get the meat from the truck to the deli and then you got to get the, the truck to the deli. And it's like birds trying to peck at the meat yeah. as, you, as you drive. Yeah, yeah the birds, there's cats like coming in when you got fish. There's there's hungry dogs, but you don't want to hurt them. So you have to like have dog food with you to scatter around to distract mm-hmm. them. Otherwise they get like, you know, they, they pull out the cartoonishly comical like ham piece. Yeah, and ham you piece, have to go, yeah. T-bone steak piece, yeah. uh, turkey leg. Those are the things you're delivering. To generate the meat, I want you to, you know, click on a cow and just, like, it poofs and there's different cuts. And then it's instantly meat. It goes bloop, 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 bloop. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, She doesn't even go here. Oh, I think this is a horror game. Survival horror game. High school stealth game. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Like, you you just simply have to play along with all the in-jokes and, like, you know, have, like, tactical espionage action, except you're just trying to fit into, you know, social cliques that you've never experienced before. Yeah, okay, so you're trying not to let anyone know that you don't even go there. Right. You could just do the Metal Gear thing of hiding the locker sometimes, that's just a thing. Yeah, and let the really popular kid walk by with the slime followers on them. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. You're, you're, the whole time you're trying to make it so that the line, she doesn't even go here, does get stated. Right. You're trying to avoid right. the title. That's the yeah. game over screen. I like that. Uh, I'm a cool mom. <laughs> it's like Diner Dash, but no. <laughs> okay, it's um, Sub-Zero mytho- uh, Mortal Kombat Mythology's Sub-Zero's mom. Uh, <laughs> oh, I see where you're going with this. Yeah, and she's just, she's just freezing everything. It's a play on words. Yeah, that's what I did. <laughs> this is insert credit. <laughs> yeah, that's all I got for that. <laughs> all right. No points awarded for that one. Uh, so you agree. So you agree. I think it's got to be a um, a Phoenix Wright-like. Um, yeah. Maybe it's Debate Club or something. Um, and and But it's like Danganronpa high-stakes debate, debate club for some reason. And uh, so it's, so you agree is just what you say instead of uh, objection or, or whatever. Uh, it's, it's your sort of yes and for debate club. Uh, you're trying to catch them in a contradiction. Yeah. Catch them yeah. in a contradiction to get them to just say the exact opposite thing so that you're like, ah, we're in agreement. Yeah. Right. That's good. Or you, you like sometimes you can get away with doing the Bugs Bunny thing as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you duck season them. Yeah. Yeah. It's October 3rd. <laughs> What's that from? This really sounds like a, a walking simulator if I ever heard one. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's like leading up to Halloween and you're starting on October 3rd and then Halloween's coming. Maybe? It's a while till Halloween. 
Yeah, I guess it's too long. I think it's more like October 3rd was like the date of the author's breakup and it's yeah. like, you know, okay. they're sad. They're making their yeah, sad I don't game. want to play this game. I didn't say you had to like it. <laughs> no, it's just what it is. But in order to like mix up things, uh, like while you're walking through these uh, traumatic memories of, of your terrible breakup, you um, like there's just like a really satisfying crunch whenever you step on a leaf. Just, you know, like, just, just give you something to do. Okay, now I'm going to play it. And it's but it also signifies you like crunching the past you know like destroying it as you move oh. forward or it's your heart oh, this is so meaningful this is the first time that video games have been art they're gonna make <laughs> me cry in wow. this video game i'm gonna cry all right our next game is don't have sex <laughs> uh, this is a this is a an edutainment game starring sonic the hedgehog uh, <laughs> i'm morally opposed to this and will not work on this project <laughs> all right fair enough <laughs> it's 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 not good it's my game of the year. So I don't think it's officially licensed Sonic. It's like Wisdom Tree got commissioned by the evangelicals to, to make Sonic do a don't have sex game on the on the on the Genesis. Oh, and because it's a Christian company, the mascot's like a lamb. Yeah. yeah. Like a cool lamb. It's yeah. a cool lamb that's accidentally sexy to a lot of people. And oh then no. It, <laughs> fandom develops around it later. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm making the Newgrounds game based off this. That's just you know like the like you're just having lots of sex with the lamb character. Right. Yeah, the N apostrophe <laughs> T is crossed out. Uh, <laughs> your next game is four for you, Glenn Coco. Hmm. That's, that's a bad one, Jappy. Come on. That's a, that's very be serious. It's not a great one. What are you gonna do with it? That's very specific. Um. <laughs> so, it's um. What was that? What's that guy do? that game called um you're that one where you drop checkers down into a grid you know what i'm talking about connect four connect four <laughs> it's connect four and you play it against glenn coco <laughs> i think that's the best we're gonna do for that one <laughs> what is that from that's a line from mean girls oh it's from mean oh these are all from, all mean, from girls. mean girls these are all yeah. lines from the film okay, mean okay. girls i thought they were from different films possibly okay no i get it they are all lines it. from the film mean now girls. i understand what we're doing the 2004 epic <laughs> Some of these lines are possibly in that unreleased Nintendo DS version of Mean Girls. Uh, your final line is, why are you so obsessed with me? Hmm. Oh, you know what? It's it's uh, it's October 3rd, but from the uh, former lover's perspective. There you go. <laughs> it's a yeah, response it's game from the other person. Callback. Game. It's kind of like when rappers, you know, respond to each other's yeah. songs, but yeah. it's in game form. Yeah, it's a diss track. Uh, it could also be a sequel to I Can't Help It That I'm Popular. Yep, it, I thought about that mm. too. Uh, it could just be, but that would be more of a straight sequel. I, and I like this. Um, this I want a video of, game uh, diss track. Clapback idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? That might be it. All right, I'm tallying up the points here. And uh, Brandon, you are our winner again. Congratulations. Son of a heck. Yeah, you did it without even trying, which means you get to come up with another question next week. But right now, this is the point of the show where we can plug the things that we're working on if we are so inclined and also uh, recommend actions or pieces of culture that our audience can take or consume before the next episode drops as a way to fill those long hours in between releases. Yeah, I man, I have a good one that I was going to do some research on before I talked about it and then I didn't do the research. And so now I guess I can't do it. Oh, well, maybe next look week. forward to that later. I guess it being October, I feel like I should recommend horror movies. You know, it's it's the spooky October. season at the present yeah. time. 
And so uh, I will recommend the movie Dead and Buried, which is about a West Coast postal town uh, of a very specific type that gives a curious vibe. And uh, people are dying and then coming back. But uh, they don't have a real awareness of their selves having died. And it's a bit of a mystery. It's also pretty hardcore in terms of <laughs> violent deaths. And it uh, surprised me a little bit. It also inspired a um, alien sex fiend song. It was pretty good. Uh, they have a song called Dead and Buried that you can enjoy after you watch that movie. So that's the one that I will recommend this time. And then I'm also going to recommend that you listen to Miho Fujiwara, who has four songs on the California Crisis OVA soundtrack. And they're all really cool city pop, jangly guitar nonsense stuff. And it's too bad she only did four songs because they're great. And I recommend it. Just give that little EP a listen and have yourself a good old time. It's kind of the opposite of a horror movie, that EP is. Frank, do you have something interesting to recommend? Uh... No, unless you, you want to hear about some office furniture I've been shopping for. Um, <laughs> Do I ever? <laughs> if you need like really heavy duty furniture, the store's media, Brandon, you might need that. Oh, I do. I need it. Tell me about it, please. <laughs> There's only one company that makes the good stuff, uh, and they are at cdcabinets.com. And uh, for the product that they make, I find the price is fairly reasonable. These are like really heavy duty things you want to like bolt to the wall this is like stuff you'd see in a in an office or like a, a library um which uh, coincidentally is uh uh what i run and why i'm um, shopping here about how much are we talking i don't remember okay. <laughs> it's, it's in my budget it might not be in your budget this is exactly the web 1.0 kind of website <laughs> that i would expect to buy a cd ca cabinet isn't, so, isn't it awesome yeah it's amazing um yeah you're looking at i don't know um, I'm looking at like CD stuff, depending on the size, like 550 to 900. But this is like the real stuff, you know, like you, okay. you will have this forever because you can buy at uh, Rasputin Records mm -hmm. here in, in California. You can buy CD shelves there. Oh, these are not shelves. These are drawers, my friend. Oh, drawers. OK, that's a different story. These are heavy duty metal drawers. Yeah. Very interesting. Well, I guess that's kind of a recommended. OK, you know, how about this? I'm, I'll do a little plug here, which is that Video Game History Foundation, we are getting ready to do our winter fundraiser that will be starting November 30th. Well, first of all, yeah, please go throw up, throw us a couple bucks. That would be awesome. But actually, the reason that I'm pitching it now is that uh, we're looking for companies that will do uh, dollar for dollar donation matching because it turns out that the kids go crazy for that if there's donation matching. So if you are a uh, a company that could put uh, maybe 500 bucks into a sponsorship, we'll put your uh, logo on the website and the Twitter and stuff. Uh, give me an email, frank at gamehistory.org. cdcabinets.com, I know you're listening. Yeah, cdcabinets.com, sponsor <laughs> us, uh, frank at gamehistory.org, if, if, yeah. if that sounds like you, or if you've, you work for a company maybe that would like to do a sponsorship and you want to... Uh, go do the legwork of asking the right people about it. Uh, we'd really appreciate that because um, last year we got like 10K in sponsorship and it was like, cool, let's start our 30 day drive. And like day one, we hit the 10K immediately. And then the rest of the month was like no donations. It's like, oh, we didn't raise enough. <laughs> so let's raise more this year. Yeah. And uh, and expand operations and, and save video game history here. You got a real opportunity to talk about having a fun raiser. And I think you should capitalize on it. Mm. 
Yeah, the end. Well, video okay. games aren't fun. I don't think it's... No, yeah. they're not. Video games haven't been fun just, since 1998. Get with the program. I, I remember all those, like, 80s style... It's not a fundraiser. It's a fundraiser. Got to bring it back. Well, I'd love to recommend a video game, but unfortunately, I haven't played one in four years due to um, having just <laughs> released my lesbian road trip RPG, Get in the Car Loser, Woo! which I would recommend. Please play it. The uh, pick up the DLC, Battle on the Big Boardwalk for... Uh, ten dollars so that brandon will be less upset thank you thanks please (laughs) it's got the weird stuff in it i know you love the weird stuff yeah gotta love it i've got some recommendations of my own i would like to recommend that if you're listening to this show on any platform where you can subscribe to or review podcasts that you do that for us we really appreciate all the reviews we get and they help uh move us upwards and forwards through the algorithms which dictate whether we find new listeners you can go to patreon.com slash insert credit as well where you can become a patron to submit your own topics get our regular episodes one day early one day early one day early nice and even access monthly bonus episodes and other exclusive content you can join us on forums.insertcredit.com and follow us on twitter for our own personal updates and projects the show is at insert credit i'm at alex jaffe brandon is at necrosofty Frank is at Frank Cifaldi. And Christine, what's your Twitter handle? Christine Love. At Christine Love, just like they drew it up. Uh, This show is edited by Esper Quinn (laughs) with music by Kurt Feldman. Check out that soundtrack on Bandcamp. It's pretty good. It's hot stuff. Yeah. This is the part where we all say our names in sequence. And uh, Christine, you'll go last. Once more, I'm Alex Jaffe. I'm Frank Cifaldi. And I'm I'm Christine Christine Love. (laughs) (laughs) I can't count. Oh. It's fine. We'll sort it out in post or not, <laughs> yeah. depending on what's funnier. <laughs> yeah. And you have now completed the episode. Congratulations. Brandon, look, look, look in general. Look what's, look what's oh on God, auction I'm, I'm right now. I'm looking at it. I'm looking at it. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, hello. Jesus, <laughs> heritage what? auctions, huh? Good night. This existed? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I've touched it's real. this thing. <laughs> yeah, I oh, wait, it too. I, I can probably find a photo of me next to this thing if you need that. If you need proof, Christine. I do need proof. I, okay. I absolutely uh, show me this photo. For the listener okay. to this Potential bonus content. We are looking at an Infinium Labs Phantom, the Roe Brady design, uh, prototype console circa 2003. It's currently going for $2,100. Dang. And uh, well worth it. It was really dramatic when this killed Mario. It was just like, (laughs) shocking.